0: Welcome, everyone. This is Steve Adubato. This is the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour with Mary Gamba, my colleague at our company Stand and Deliver. We focus on leadership and communication and mentoring and coaching. We are on AM 970, the answer every Sunday at 2 p.m. and also check us out on our podcast, Mary. Mm-hmm,
1: absolutely. Uh, folks can subscribe to our podcast at Google Play as well as on iTunes. And you can learn more about us and articles that you've written on communication and leadership on the web at Stan-Deliver.com.
0: And in my book, uh, Lessons in Leadership, which is really the precursor, if you will, to this show, The Leadership Hour on AM 970. Um, one of the things I do in that book is I we talk to a lot of different leaders. We learn from different leaders. I'm fascinated by different leadership styles. And um, right up front, I want to say that we are going to be joined in just a couple of seconds by our good friend and colleague uh, at a university that I've taught many times, taught leadership and communication, Dr. Nancy Blatner, who is the president of Caldwell University, which is based in northern New Jersey. And um, I don't want to waste any time. I want to get to our very special guest, Dr. Nancy Blatner from Caldwell University. How you doing, Nancy?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for taking time to
0: talk with me today, Steve. Well, it's our pleasure. And, you know, I'm going to disclose something. One of the things about Nancy, and I want to get right to this whole question of leadership and personality style. Right before we got on the air, we had Nancy, we were ready to go, and there was, uh, happened to be a technical glitch, which happens in the media business all the time. And we couldn't start the show when we needed to. And there's a point to this, trust me. Nancy, I've never had the greatest, Brian Brodeur, who is our, super talented. He's got a great team here. He handles everything production-wise. Um, Brian, fair to say yes or no that Patience has not been my middle name when it comes to technical issues? Yes or no?
3: Uh, it can be a challenge, yeah, but, Okay. Uh, yeah, it's okay.
0: okay. Brian, don't worry. We're going to pay the bill this that's month. Very, that's um, very diplomatic, Brian. So, so, so the reason I'm mentioning this is not about me. It's about Dr. Nancy Blattner. And one of the things I wanted to speak to you about, Nancy, is how incredibly, not just polite and courteous and nice you are even though you're a very strong leader as well, but you have what I perceive to be a level of patience because you didn't seem peeved. You didn't seem anything because we had to let you go. We had to pick you back up. There's a point of all this. Nancy, where does your patience and your incredibly courteous and nice demeanor come from when dealing with people? And how the heck are you such a strong leader in the process? I know it's a loaded question.
2: Well, you're very kind, and you know, I would have said honestly that I'm not a very patient person, and I, I said that once during a cabinet meeting, and one of my vice presidents said, I think you're one of the most patient people that I know, and I said, well, we're going to have to share that with my family members because there are times when I certainly don't feel that way, but you know, higher education, the venue in which I serve as a leader, is one that requires a lot of patience. Things don't often move very fast, and so we have to be patient in order to come up with the right decisions. and you know, invite all of the constituencies in to have a voice in whatever decisions are made, and I think that part of what helped me to perhaps be as patient as I am is the upbringing that I had in the family in which I was raised, where you know that was really a virtue that was extolled. And I am from the Midwest, as you know, where there's a slightly different pace <laughs> of life, and people are perhaps a little bit slower in their approach, and and maybe that equates to patience in some people's minds. So. Maybe that's a little bit of it. But you're right. Despite that, there are still very hard decisions that leaders have to make, that I have to make with great regularity, even when i perhaps prefer not to.
0: You know, uh, I, I was saying this to, this, by the way, is Steve Atabato. This is the Leadership Hour. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. We're speaking with Dr. Nancy Blattner, who is the president of Caldwell University, a first rate university in northern New Jersey, where I've happened to have um, served on the faculty, taught, lectured, and It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the great team there that Nancy has built. Nancy, I am curious about this. When I first met you, I don't know, maybe within the first minute, I realized, and I know this is no disrespect to anyone in the New York, New Jersey listening area on AM 970, the answer, I somehow knew you were not from this area. What do you actually believe there is about, quote unquote, the Midwest where you come from that has impacted your leadership style?
2: I think it goes back to a little bit what I just was saying, and that is that there is a slower pace, and people are very civil, very courteous, and very interested in other people's opinions, not to suggest that in New Jersey that's not the case. I have found people very welcoming to me and my family as we've moved here you know, nine years ago to begin a new chapter in my career. But I think that there's really a centering on family. It's it's a more agrarian lifestyle. I come from a, a town that's considered to be huge, but 35,000, and it's the largest <laughs> community between St. Louis <laughs> and Memphis. And when you take that into account, it just changes the person's worldview a bit. And sometimes that's not positive either. I mean, you know, there are people that are very myopic where I've come from that don't see the bigger picture, don't see the larger world. So, There are pluses and minuses to coming from both places, and I've learned a great deal both from the Midwest and from New Jersey where I've spent considerable parts of my career at this point.
0: Follow-up to that, Nancy. Uh, Dr. Nancy Blattner at Caldwell University, Steve Adubato, and Mary Gamba here. Um, Nancy, you've had to make some very tough decisions as the leader of uh, Caldwell University. You've had to let some people go. You've had to deal with tough situations regarding faculty, performance issues. How do you do that with a very polite and courteous demeanor, but still be resolute in what it is you need to say, how you need to say it, and a tough decisions being made. And some people are just not going to like the decision and, frankly, sometimes not like you in the process because you're the one who did it, Nancy.
2: Well, I'll start with the last first. It's been very difficult for me to accept the fact that, you know, I make decisions and that people somehow personally dislike me for that. I'm a people pleaser. I've known that since I was a child. And so that's been difficult. But ultimately, what drives decision making for me at the institution is making the very best decision for the future of the institution. So it can't be personal. And hopefully, if I'm able to listen very carefully to people who have a stake in the decision that's being made, whether that's students, faculty, staff, or others, and then weigh all of the options, and then go back and explain the decision that was made and how it was arrived at so that there's transparency and hopefully trust, even if there isn't, you know, a mutual consensus on the decision, that's helpful. I think sometimes people confuse listening with getting agreement for what they want. And so, you know, when people say to me sometimes, but you didn't listen to me, and I'll say, I listened to you. I listened to you very (laughs) carefully. But what you're suggesting is that if I had listened to you better or more carefully, I would have arrived at the decision that you wanted. And that, unfortunately, was something perhaps that I couldn't do because I had to look at a broader scope than what maybe the person who is speaking to me has available to him or her. So it's always about making the best decision for the institution while at the same time trying to preserve the dignity of the people who are Mm. affected by that position.
0: Wow. Mary, jump in.
1: Wow, that's uh, very deep. Steve and I were talking a lot. That is deep. It's very deep. And that's why I love what we do here on the Leadership Hour. We talk to people like Dr. Blattner and others who share their thoughts on leadership. And Steve and I were talking um, a little bit more about being nice. I consider myself a very nice person. Very. Very nice. Brian Brodeur
0: here in the studio, do you confirm this? Uh, Yes, I do. One of the nicest ever. You better
1: say that, Brian. Uh, (laughs) But it is tough. It is hard to balance. And and Dr. Blattner, that's what I would love to ask you just a little bit more. How do you balance that? It is a very delicate balance to be nice while also being firm and also moving the organization forward. How do you make those tough decisions? On a day-to-day basis.
0: Well, hold on, Mary. Complicated. Yes. We said, what's the difference between well, being, being nice, nice and-, and... being
1: naive. For example, if someone is so nice that they get blindsided, say if they're in an organization, and they're a manager... And we've seen that
0: with some leaders we know.
1: Exactly. So if you are a leader in an organization, you're very nice, you're going along your day-to-day business, and then you're naive and you're blindsided by whether it's a downsizing or you didn't see something coming... It can happen. So how do you make sure that you're being productive, being everything that you can be as a leader and while also doing it in a fair way without getting blindsided?
2: Well, I think the first thing I have to admit is that most leaders, if they're honest, are blindsided at some point in their career (laughs) or others. And I think that, you know, that's a hard thing for leaders to admit because people don't want to admit that they have flaws, that they've made poor decisions. And that's a leadership lesson that I have owned many times to people when I talk to those whom I mentor, and that is you have to own that you make mistakes,
4: <laughs> you have to
2: learn from them, and then you have to try to, you know, you vow to yourself and to others that you won't repeat the same mistakes that you've made. So I think that the first thing we have to say is that, you know, people will make mistakes, they will be blindsided, and you cannot always expect, you know, everyone to operate from the same playing field on which... I choose to play, which is one of, I think, trust and transparency. So that is an issue that can come up and bite a person. I would also say that there is a personal cost to this type of leadership when a person attempts to be, you know, very personally vested to be very nice to all of the constituents that one deals with as a leader. And sometimes, you know, I go home and my husband would be the best to attest to this, but I'm like battle weary and scarred because. You know, people don't see the decision that I needed to make as the one that's the best, or they can't agree with what has to happen. And as a result, I feel that there's a personal cost that accrues to me. And that's something that, you know, even after many years uh, of being a leader and being in the business, I've really never dealt with very well. So ultimately, I think the guiding principle has to be the decision has to be what's best for the entity and the institution, even if sometimes that's not what's best for me, perhaps personally. And that's a lesson that a leader has to learn because a leader has to put the common good ahead of what's best for any one individual, including him or herself.
0: You're listening to Dr. Nancy Blattner, president of Caldwell University. This is uh, Steve Adubato. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gambo. on AM 970. <clears throat> Excuse me. The answer this is the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. You know, I, I know Mary just wrote a sign to me. Mary mm-hmm. just wrote Women in Leadership. And I know you want to talk about that. But can I get a quick yes or no Uh before you do that. Sure can. Nancy Blattner, is leadership personal for you?
2: It is. It is, and it is definitely a part of me as a female leader, and I'd be happy to speak a little bit about that if if you'd like
0: me to. Please do. Please
2: do. So, you know, earlier in my career, I had been mentored very, I think, beautifully and productively by men because men really are predominant in leadership positions throughout many industries, including higher education In the last 20 years, there's been an increase in the number of women presidents of colleges and universities, but only to the extent that about a quarter of colleges and universities are led by women. And so when I had an opportunity to do a national fellowship about 15 years ago, I chose to spend a year shadowing a female president. And the reason why I did that was because I wanted to be mentored by a woman who was Mm -hmm. the leader of an institution. I felt that women might lead differently than men. And while there are many overlapping characteristics and there's nothing about women that is completely exclusive to women or, you know, men exclusive to men, but there are styles of leadership I think that are different for women. And I learned a lot from being mentored by Dr. Cormier, who was the president of Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia, where I spent a year watching her leadership style. And she said something to me that I've never forgotten. And she told me that, you know, as a woman... People will first judge you as to whether they like you. And if they like you, then you get the second judgment, which is whether or not they can trust you and whether they believe you're competent. And I don't think for men that really rings true. Mm. When I watch men in leadership roles, whether they're liked or not is not so much the first barrier that one has to overcome. I think it's really a matter of competence. But I think with women, it's different, and that's because of the role that we've played in society and in history for so long, and that while we're overcoming part of that, I don't think it's been completely overcome yet, and I'm not sure that it necessarily needs to be. I don't mind having that set of barriers to go through. I like getting to know people, having them getting to know me, and then working from that level of knowledge to have a level of trust where we can do business together, if you will, in the higher education industry.
0: Wow. Wow. Aren't you glad we booked Nancy Blattner? Oh, my gosh. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nancy, Dr. Nancy Blattner, president of Caldwell University on the uh, Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba. Uh, Nancy, before I let you go, by the way, Nancy's coming in in our TV studio Mm -hmm. tomorrow with three other college and university Mm -hmm. presidents talking talking about the future of higher education. education. And by the way, we'll have some of those folks on the Leadership Hour as well. Uh, Nancy... I've asked you this before on the television side. I'm asking you on the radio side. No, you know what? Not the number one leadership lesson you've learned. I've asked you that before. What is the number one leadership challenge that you face? 30 seconds or less, go.
2: I think the number one challenge is that I want people that are around me, my cabinet and others, to feel a complete confidence that I want to hear dissenting points of view. To me, leadership only works if you surround yourself with people who have different perspectives and they aren't afraid to voice their opinions. And sometimes, unfortunately, in a leadership position, people feel that their job is to say yes to you, and that's not helpful at all. So the challenge is to get people who are confident in their own beliefs and will share those with you in a civil way that helps you to make the best decisions possible.
0: Dr. Nancy Blattner, president of Colorado University, cannot thank you enough for joining us. By the way, Nancy, one more thing before there you go. It's important for leaders to get feedback from others. Not that you know every faculty uh, performance review. How are my faculty performance reviews at Codwell University when I taught a couple months back? And if they were terrible, would you say so on the air?
2: <laughs> well, Steve, I can't imagine that yours would ever be anything less than stellar, as they are. <laughs> But I I don't think we have to ever cross that bridge. You are an outstanding lecturer, and we're honored every time you come on campus and share your expertise with our students. So thank you for that.
0: Thank you. And by the way, Mary looked at me and she said, you are unbelievably self-obsessed that you asked that question right now. Uh, By the way, Nancy, thank you so much. We'll see you in the TV studio tomorrow, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: She's great. She's fantastic. I can listen to her all day. A lot of great leadership tips.
0: Hopefully people on the radio can listen to this. Well, <laughs> this is Steve Adubato. Uh, this is the Leadership Hour. This is AM 970, The Answer. And uh, even if you don't like listening to me, you'll like listening to Mary Gamba. And we'll be back. You know, Mary and I will be back in just a minute.
1: This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com.
0: Welcome back to the Leadership Hour on AM 970. The Answer This is Steve Atabato. I'm here with Mary Gamba, my colleague at our company, Stand and Deliver. Check out all of my articles, uh, my book, Lessons in Leadership, a bunch of interesting leadership and communication-related material on...
1: Stand-Deliver.com. Say that again, our website? Stand-Deliver.com.
0: And also on Twitter?
1: hmm Steve Adubato. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD.
0: And what about the podcast of the Leadership Hour?
1: Brand new podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast, get more of our uh, Leadership Hour at Google Play, as well as on iTunes.
0: Thank you. Uh, we were just listening to the president of Caldwell University, Dr. Nancy Blattner, I don't want to obsess over the niceness thing because she's so much more than just a nice person. But I am curious about something. We're talking about women in leadership positions. I want to put something on the table that is a complicated and interesting question. So leadership is also about being flexible. Leadership is about, in my view, looking at everyone's individual situation on your team and trying to do what is Right? Not just for that person, but for the team as well. Why am I raising this? Because a fair number of people on our team, our day-to-day team, we run a major production company. A fair number of people on our team happen to be women. Some of them happen to be moms, new moms, right? Mm-hmm. And, and while dads are involved, some more than others, a lot of the responsibility for being a mom or being a parent falls on moms, fair to say?
1: That is very fair to say, And they're also
0: professionals in the workplace as leaders. Correct. I'm going somewhere here. We've had some of our people work, flex schedules, work at home remotely, right? Recently, I was talking to one of our top leaders on the team and she was there with her little baby. Mm -hmm. And she was waiting for childcare to come. And I could hear her baby, beautiful baby in the background. And I thought to myself, wow, Um, she works on our team. She's a strong leader. She's very talented, but she's juggling this right now. Her husband is out doing whatever he's doing, working professionally. They share the responsibilities. Here's my point. Do you think leadership is any different when some of the people that you're leading are physically not in the same place? They're working remotely. They're juggling lots of things. They're at home. Is it any different?
1: If done correctly, there's no difference, especially in today's day and age. There's a lot more remote working. There are uh, just last night we have we have a college advisor we're working with. One of my children is 16. He's looking into colleges. And instead of going all the way. I heard to her, she's awesome, by the way. She's really great. Her name is Jenna. And instead of going all the way to our offices, which are about 45 minutes away from where we live, we did it online through Skype. Are you Skyped? And yeah, we Skyped, absolutely. And it saves time. It saves energy. We were just as productive. The same thing applies in the workforce. If you set up a, a situation for your team members, and again, you tr- that's where trust comes in, And you will know if your team member is not doing his or her job. You will know that they're not producing. Um, And I don't mean it, obviously, we're in the television business. They're not
0: being productive.
1: They're not being productive. They're not meeting deadlines. They're not communicating. And that is where communication comes in, sending emails, communicating with a text, being accessible via cell phone. You need to be dialed in, you need to be tuned in to what is going on in the organization. How about
0: you, but you're not in the office.
1: Doesn't matter, you're not in the office a lot. you were on the road, you were constantly connected, why? Because you call in, because you send that email that says copy everyone on your response to a specific question. So, as long as you are on top of your responsibilities. It's engaged. It's definitely engaged. And as a result, um, and it's an overwhelming, I've seen it in our business, but you can see it everywhere. By allowing people that flexibility, you're going to have higher retention rates. You're going to have happier employees who want to stay, and they'll actually work harder. They're not feeling that resentment of, oh my gosh, I need to sit in the car for an hour to get to work. That's lost time. How many times have I shot out an email and said, listen, I'm working from home today. I get two extra hours in my workday if By I way, work Mary from travels.
0: home? Let's We love the Garden State Parkway, Mm -hmm. but not during the hours of?
1: Uh, Anywhere between 6 a.m. and 9 (laughs) a.m. and 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. And I drive 18 miles, and it takes me an hour. And that is wasted time. Now, yes, I do Where does it have to do
0: with leadership?
1: It has a lot to do with leadership. It has the ability, number one, to recognize— if you are able to work or frankly if you're not if you're in a type of environment whether it's customer service whether you need that face time with your team members of course it's not for everyone it's not for every company but more and more today they've got you know not to plug websites but a program called go to my pc it's literally you can log into your computer from anywhere remotely on your cell phone on your tablet on a, a laptop it doesn't matter. So you can see your workstation remotely from anywhere in the world that has Wi-Fi. So it's just it's a much easier, more efficient way of getting work done. Period.
0: So, so by the way, you're listening to Mary Gamba, who is the vice president of operations, chief of staff, head of business relations. She has 18 titles that stand and deliver. Simply put, she runs our company. She's the leader of our company. This is Steve Adubato. Uh This is our leadership. This is your leadership hour, if you will listening to us on AM 970, the answer. Um, Stay on this issue. What about if a leader of an organization says, yeah, well, I'd like to be able to let my people or have my people work flex hours, work at home, figure out what works for them and works for us. But you know what? If I do it for one, I have to do it for all and I have to treat everyone the same way. So no, sorry. Got to be here. Nine to five. That's it. Sorry.
1: We have talked about this a lot in terms of the difference between being fair and equal. I personally don't believe in any aspect of life, work, business, doesn't matter. I don't believe that everything needs to be equal. Everyone is treated in a way that works for them, whether that's working from home, whether it's, no, you need to come to the office because what you're doing is more administrative. Maybe maybe you need to. Just today, I actually sent an email on my way here to our new associate producer because our copy machine is not working. Seems like a a little thing, but it's huge when we have seminars that we're leading and materials need to be created. So if she was not physically in the office, she would not be able to meet the people to come. So it's things like that where you do need to differentiate whether a a remote system would work for everyone. However, we have producers who are literally on the phone all day long doing pre-interviews, preparing notes, working on their computers. They could do that from anywhere.
0: Depends, uh, excuse me, depends upon the job. Interestingly, last point on this, we had a very young, talented, um, committed, hardworking team member who had only been with us for, I don't know, a year, mm-hmm. maybe not even. And she came to us and said her, her circumstance had changed and she no longer could be up in North Jersey where our physical offices were. She was more close; she was closer to Philadelphia. Exactly. And it was like two hours each way. Mm-hmm. And she thought she was going to have to leave the company. She said, I'm so sorry. I, 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 The only way I could do this is if I work from home and come in, I think, one day a week. And you and I talked about this. And what do we agree to? Yeah,
1: we agreed to let that happen. And her first thing that she said to us that really just resonated was, I love what I do. I absolutely love working for this company. I believe in what you're doing. And unfortunately, it's not going to work because I have to – it's just the travel. And just seeing her light up when we gave her that opportunity to work from home and be as productive, and she hasn't skipped a beat. So it is on a case-by-case basis for sure.
0: So being flexible. Someone says, I'm a firm leader. I have my rules. I just stick by my rules. Well, you're a bad leader because you don't respond to the circumstance around you. You're not flexible, and you don't understand – how to deal with what each person needs. And by the way, this is not a 100% thing, because if we find out at a period of time that that particular person is not getting the job done, we deal with it accordingly. Um, Got about seven minutes left. Uh, Steve Adubaro, this is uh, the Leadership Hour. I'm here with Mary Gamba. I want to bring up another issue. We were talking about um, hiring. In Jim Collins' book, I mentioned this before, his book, Good to Great, Hire Slow, Fire Fast. Okay, we just hired a new person, a very new person. um talk about the process I don't know why people call it onboarding like you're getting on a plane. We just brought in a new person, mm-hmm. and she couldn't can't be more than twenty two
1: yeah, I think that's exactly right what out of school is. right out of school.
0: You and I were impressed by in the hiring process. we had an opportunity to hire a, a new young producer. uh trust me, there's a leadership point to this. We looked at her resume. We looked she actually had an a video which mm-hmm. was very impressive of her work. And then we interviewed her. She did well. Yes. And then we decided to bring her on starting a certain date. Talk about the process of whether call it onboarding or would give me
1: another what is it called? Uh orientation. Whatever maybe. the heck
0: it is. We spent a lot of time, the team spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get her up to speed as much as possible even though there are going to be a million new things she learns every day. Could you talk about that and what it has to do with leadership? Yeah,
1: absolutely. One of the hardest things when you bring on someone new is to take time out of your own busy schedule to really train that person correctly. If you don't put together a plan, and again, flexibility, that plan cannot be rigid – Perfect example, one of our team members that was supposed to meet with our new team, uh, the new employee on the first day, had a death in the family, so we needed to re-shift uh, the entire schedule of the training just to make it work because she wasn't going to be in the office that day to train her. It's a long-winded way of saying, if you don't have a plan in place of who's doing what by when to get this person, like you had said, onboarded, initiated, get that person to understand things like the culture of the organization, how you communicate, whether via email, whether it's getting up and Walking to the next room or intercom, simple things like using the phone, uh, picking it up. Uh, What is the brand of the organization? That person is representing your brand every time that they're on that phone. So, those basic things, but then the bigger picture things of their overall responsibilities, making sure they are clear, making sure that they understand in writing, and then walking them through it. What the expectations are, because if that's not, that's an investment. It's an investment, a big investment of you, time,
0: managing money and effort, and you got a million other things to do, and, and you are doing all this. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's hard. And and you could send a message very, very powerful one way or the other. If you don't do this, you are sending a message, hey, we're not going to really invest in you and your development with the organization. Or on the flip side, if you really put that plan together and you stick to it, they feel valued, they feel part of the team, and you can really quickly get them engaged from the time that they step in the door that first day.
0: You know what else is interesting about this uh, The young woman we brought on board? I kept saying that I was going to meet with her uh, in the office, and Mary had it on the schedule. And for a variety of reasons, I had other things, and I didn't do it. I didn't come in to meet with her the first week. But what's interesting is yesterday, we happened to be—in my mind, here's what I did. And trust me, this isn't about me. It's about seizing opportunities— we happen to be, a, again, we're a television production company connected to public broadcasting. And by the way, it doesn't matter what the business is. It could be widget making, even though I don't think they make widgets anymore. It could be production, it can be a clothing industry, it could be auto, it could be a, it could be a university uh, president like Nancy Blattner, Dr. Blattner at Cornell University. Here's the thing. I kept saying to myself, I know that I'm going to be out on a lo- on a shoot, which means a production shoot on location and this young woman would be on the, on that shoot with some other senior producers and i would have an opportunity not just to talk to her but to watch her in action to for her to watch what we do in action and then i said let me spend 10 to 15 minutes afterwards i asked her give me tell me two things you took away from this shoot two things you learned from today and i listened to her And then I said, what about this, 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 and this? Why are we doing – why do you think we did this? Why do you think we did that? How would you handle this? How would you handle that? So I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. What I'm saying is, in my mind, I thought it would be better from a training, from an orientation, from a mentoring, from a coaching point of view, all of which is part of leadership, to do it on the spot as opposed to hypothetically imagine you're out there. We were in it, and we were teaching. And as I was doing certain things, I was saying – I'm not going to say her name – why do you think we just did that? Or how would you have handled this? And I don't know what she took from it. And obviously you'll talk to her as well. Talk about teaching on the spot.
1: I think there is definitely value to on the hands-on, on-the-spot learning, not only if things are going right, but if something goes wrong. Just to get that feedback in that moment, because as time goes by and the longer you get away from whatever that thing is, whether it was, hey, someone just had a presentation that they had to do with a new prospect. Uh, That happens a lot in business. For a sales situation. Yeah, for a sales situation. And if you're the manager of that employee in that boardroom and whether they hit a home run or if they struck out. Giving them that instant feedback the second you walk out of that room is key. But that does not take the place of having, whether it's a scheduled, whether it's three, you know, having that time, that face time, letting that employee know whether they've been there for a month or whether they've been there for 10 years, that you are invested in them. We often talk about the 360, a 360 evaluation and assessment, where you go and you ask somebody, what are my three greatest strengths? What are my three areas for improvement? You need to do that consistently with your team Because if not, again, you're just going through the motions. You can get in the danger, as we call it, autopilot, where you're just doing the bare, not even the bare minimum. You're getting your job done every single day. But if you don't press pause and reevaluate, you could be even doing a greater job.
0: And by the way, a minute left, going on autopilot and I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing, what you told me to do, that's not leadership. No. No. That's – it's interesting. I don't want to open up a Pandora's box. We'll talk about this in in the next episode of the Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba on AM 970, The Answer. We do a lot of coaching and training around – write this down if you could, Mary. Mm -hmm. Mary hates when I say this, but I'll say it again. Coaching and teaching the difference between doing and leading, being a doer and being a leader. I coach a lot of people. I do a lot of executive one-on-one coaching, some of it face-to-face, but most of it, frankly, by phone and I work with a lot of people who are super doers, and the companies that bring me in, bring our company in to coach them, say, I don't need just doers, even super doers. I need leaders to take the initiative, to have imagination, to be strategic, to be creative. If I just needed doers, I would just tell everybody what to do and they would do it, and we can't succeed that way. I'm gonna leave it at that, because I see um, the sign saying three, two, one, there's no time left, Brian Burdur, am I right?
5: That's correct.
0: This has been another edition of the Leadership Hour. Steve Adubato here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. Tell everyone one more time, Mary, where they can check out our stuff.
1: Absolutely. So you can subscribe to our podcast at Google Play and iTunes. You can find us on the web at stand-deliver.com. And you can follow Steve on Twitter, Steve Adubato. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. And on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D.
0: That is Mary Gamba. This is Steve Adubato. This is also the Leadership Hour. We'll check you out again 2 p.m. every Sunday on AM 970. That's right, the answer.
1: This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey.
0: This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Patrick Dunnegan. At Gibbons, we believe that citizens need to be informed about the complex issues that affect their lives. That's why we're proud to support the programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television.
4: State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, Johnson & Johnson. Englewood Health, Suez, water solutions to meet tomorrow's environmental challenges. NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan. Turn a dream into a degree. And by New Jersey Council of County Colleges. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association. And by Insider NJ.
0: State of Affairs, I'm Steve Adubato. We are coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. It is my honor and pleasure to once again welcome Greg Lalavie, who is Business Manager, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, which has how many members? 7,100. Tell everyone what you guys do.
5: We're the men and women who operate and maintain heavy construction equipment. Cranes, bulldozers, build roads, build bridges, build buildings all kinds of infrastructure projects.
0: Okay, you've been with us many times talking about infrastructure, jobs, the economy, transportation. Can we go right to the Gateway Tunnel? We had Cory Booker, Senator Cory Booker, United States Senator Cory Booker, sitting right here yesterday, we taping yesterday. He said if this tunnel is not built, the Gateway Tunnel, it is devastating, not just for New Jersey and New York, but for the Northeast Corridor in the nation, you say?
5: Uh, absolutely true. Ten uh, percent of the U.S. GDP relies on transit between New Jersey and New York. So if we don't get this program done, uh, that's the risk we're taking. What
0: stands in the way? Because I thought that during the Obama Obama administration, dollars have been set aside to do this. What has happened?
5: Well, President Trump came in and said that there was no deal in place. Um, Because it
0: was Obama's deal, not his
5: deal? I don't know the reason why, but he said there was nothing in writing. So in his mind, there was no deal. Uh, So at the end of the day, I think we have to get all sides to come together and figure out what they will do so that we can get this thing done. So people can understand, Greg, um,
0: why this is not an inside the beltway, if you will, Washington, or even a Statehouse issue, that it affects everyone. Help people really understand that, transportation, jobs, the economy.
5: Well, we have to keep people moving, keep goods and services moving. If the gateway program in its totality were to be built, uh, we're talking about the possibility of having freight rail into New York City, which would take trucks off the road, um, it's a it's a big mobility issue, uh, which is uh, lost productivity. Um, you know, if we lost the trains uh, totally, there'd be an estimated $100 million a day in lost productivity.
0: Let me give you another example. Say one of the
5: tunnels has to be, quote-unquote,
0: shut down for repair. What happens?
5: Uh, we lose three-quarters of our train capacity from 24 trains an hour to six trains an hour. It's devastating. How, how are people then going to get back and forth to New York City? I, it's right now that we move 450 trains per day between Newark and New York 200,000 passengers so if you took 3 quarters of them and had to put them in their cars on the road uh with the current traffic situation we have um, it would be bedlam
0: okay so the murphy administration as we speak we're doing this uh literally a couple days a few days before the budget is supposed to be struck on the last day of june we don't know what's going to happen we don't know if the government's going to be shut down cross our fingers but that's not actually a plan how does what happens in the state house around these budget negotiations impact you and those uh, your members and the larger transportation issues that matter in the state
5: well first go- governor murphy made a very big strong move uh, by ordering transit to put up money for the portal bridge project you mean
0: transit we say transit you mean new jersey new transit new jersey transit
5: which is it or is it not a state
0: agency I believe it is. Is it so- so-called a so-called quasi-state agency, which means the governor appoints the people, I believe, who are commissioners, but they're supposedly independent, but the reality is if he dedicates the state dollars to New Jersey
5: Transit, does that have to get approved in the budget? I don't believe it does, no. Okay, um, so what's, what's at stake here with Transit? Well, with, with Transit financing the project, Governor Murphy's put a big marker out on the table. Uh, Secretary Chow, the U.S. Department of Transportation has always said New York and New Jersey need skin in the game uh, for the Gateway pro- Program in general. Uh, Portal Bridge is part of the Gateway Program, so Governor Murphy I think is Where's putting Where's Portal, go-
0: Bridge, Portal Bridge? Where is that?
5: A- in Kearney, through, uh, over the Hackensack River.
0: You know, put this in larger perspective. We've had many conversations before. Um, Greg and, and his colleagues are they're actually one of the underwriters of what we do here on Uh, the Caucus Educational Corporation and and frankly we're dedicated to trying to help people understand the larger transportation infrastructure issues. Bridges. Could you give me a percentage, I know the DOT, the Department of Transportation looks at this, what percentage of our bridges are either crumbling, falling (laughs) apart or we don't know when they could go and I'm not trying to be an alarmist here but they're real numbers from engineers.
5: Yeah and it's probably somewhere around a third are structurally deficient or functionally obsolete Uh, Functionally obsolete being that it's carrying traffic that it was not originally engineered to carry. Uh, It's just a a reflection of our population growth and the added traffic on the roads. How about the roads? Uh, How bad? They could could do with a lot of improvement. There's a lot of choke points. Um, We all know where traffic builds up every day. I live in Somerset County. If you don't get to the confluence of 78 and 287, uh, before four o'clock in the afternoon, you'll be sitting in a pretty long traffic line that goes back to Watchung. You
0: know what's so interesting? There's always a crisis going on in New Jersey. The question is, why is transportation, you know, combined with bridges, roads, and the disrepair, the crumbling, the falling apart, why is this not a crisis until some horrific thing happens? You remember the mianus Bridge not too long ago uh, in another state? It happens, middle of the night, it collapses, people in those cars fall into the river and they die.
5: I don't, again, want to be an alarmist, but is that what it takes? Unfortunately, it seems to be uh, what it takes. And the real problem with it is, uh, talking about gateway again, you referred to possibly losing one tunnel. If we lose that on a timeline that we don't control with engineering, thought, planning, and construction, then we have to do it under duress, which is more expensive, um, you know, and and all kinds of the the, uh, cataclysm of not having planned it all out. And then will people then turn around and say, hey, why didn't the government do something about this? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> to what degree, I, listen, I know you lobby in, in, a, in a, the appropriate way and you deal with state officials, the legislative side, the regulatory side, the executive branch. To what degree do you think most of our leaders in government, Democrats and Republicans
5: understand the crisis this really is? Well, two years ago, insofar as the state goes, when they when they fixed the transportation trust fund. I mean,
0: put money in the transportation trust fund for yes. long-term transportation projects. Go ahead. And With a gas
5: tax. Yes. Go ahead. And, and set forth an eight-year uh, capital plan. So uh, Governor Christie and the legislators at that time, I believe, acknowledged what the problem was and took steps toward correcting it. Do you believe Governor Murphy and his team understand and are committed to these issues as well? I believe so, yes. He, he campaigned on infrastructure very heavily.
0: Greg Lalavi is a business manager with uh, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. People can go on your website and find out. Uh, do you know the website? I'm putting you on the spot. Do you
5: know sure. That? Oh, yeah. It's www.iuoe825.org. Hold on. Do that again. IUOE825.org. Greg, thank you, buddy. Thank you very much. Appreciate all of us. Be safe on the roads,
0: everyone. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Atabato. We will be right back. You're probably in traffic.
4: To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. and follow us on Twitter at steveadubato.
0: State of Affairs is pleased to welcome our good friend, Senator Tom Cain Jr., Republican, Republican leader in the Senate. How are you doing, Senator? It's great. It's great to see you again, Steve. Good to have you. Uh, Senator, put things in perspective for us. A few days after, when this shows, it'll be a couple weeks, Mm -hmm. legalized sports betting means what in New Jersey?
6: I think it's positive. It's revenue. It's new energy. I think it's obviously something that brings people together and has. I think it's going to be positive for the state
0: you're not concerned about some of those who say, you know what, we are promoting gambling and those who may have a problem get sucked into it and that's the state's well, responsibility. We, well, we always, always need to be protective of the downside.
6: and My hope would be some of the revenue that we use would be used for some of those addiction and other related problems. That happens in any venue. But the goal is here is say, legalize what's already happening across the country, make it a you know, regulated industry, and then also protect people on the downside for who may have a gambling
0: addiction. It's interesting. This is bipartisan, isn't it?
6: It was strongly bipartisan.
0: And that's rare in the State House. You well. see the dome behind
6: you. <laughs> that is rare. It, 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 well, actually, it, it should be more common. I mean, there are things that I think we can find common ground on, on you know, ways to make the state more affordable, make sure that we make sure people can go, go to school in the state of New Jersey, make mm. sure people can afford to live here. I mean, what should be our common goal is three generations of families live in the state of New Jersey. And there mm. are ways we can get there on you know, real and substantive policies. But when people look at Trenton right now, they say, who's racing to increase taxes? You've got a Senate president that wants to have the highest corporate tax in the country, Steve Sweeney, Steve Sweeney and a governor who wants to have the highest income tax in the country. And at a time when New Jersey is saying, we want to attract people like Amazon, we want to attract millennials, we want to attract people who are going to be you know, the wonderful citizens of New Jersey, that's sending the very wrong message. So, is, unfortunately, the Democratic majority is focused on increasing taxes. The Senate Republicans and, and others are saying, how do, we, how do we constrain costs? I mean, can you imagine a state where people are saying, our property taxes are affordable? educational opportunities not only in the k-12 through 12, but the you know the higher education uh, sphere as well that's actually Which affordable and and, and it's achievable in many cases well, and if you can say okay i'm going to get my first job out of college in new jersey i'm going to get my second job in and new stay jersey. in new jersey and stay in new jersey and i'm going to you know and when, like and then i'm going to retire in new jersey because think about this the one thing people are talking about is they're saying right now in five years I'm leaving the state of New Jersey. Too many people are saying that, and the more people say because that, it's unaffordable, because it's unaffordable. And so what they're saying is, if they change that state in 10 years, I'm going to give the state a chance. That means they're not moving to Pennsylvania because people are moving to Pennsylvania or Florida, not to the weather. No, they're not moving to Florida. What the, do you mean? The most, not move, most there's people, no income tax most, there. That's true, but most people are moving to Pennsylvania or New York State because of a lower income tax. Because of a lower tax rate overall. Okay. and they don't have retirement incomes, there are a variety of things like that. So you have people who are doing that but, at all ages. But Senator, is, if, to respect if you look at great and companies like J&J.
0: What does right J&J now, have to do
6: with it? Well, half, think about this. Half of their employees, 8,000 are in New Jersey, half are in Pennsylvania. This last two, their CEO, Brunswick. last two CEOs are Pennsylvania residents. We've got A company got in change. New Brunswick? Yes, has half of its employees. By the way, J&J employees. happens to
0: be one of our underwriters. And it's
6: a great company. It is a great company. Yeah, but if half it of its put- employees are in Pennsylvania. So what we have to do is this. Rather than sending the signal out of Trenton, or whether it's Senate President Sweeney or Governor Murphy who's saying, let's increase spending, let's first have the conversation on how do you reduce costs. And there are ways we can reduce costs on the citizens of New Jersey very quickly, very responsibly. If you focus on ways we have a real conversation
0: on pension health benefits reforms, okay. you could save billions okay, of dollars. we're, we're speaking with uh, State Senator Tom Kane. He is, in fact, the leader of the. Uh, the Senate uh, for the Republicans. Let's let's do this. <clears throat> Steve Atabato here and uh, the question is, you talked about the pension situation. Mm-hmm. We could save money if we uh, did what with the pension? Didn't you guys do what? that in 2011 with Governor Christie, together with the Democrats in the legislature, you were right. involved as well. You cut benefits, you changed all kinds of things about the public employee pension situation. Now it's still in an 80 plus Act- billion dollar hole. What right. didn't you well, do I, right?
6: I, I, actually, it was one third of the Democrats joined us. Okay, but, Every but Republican it wouldn't have now? if you hadn't had everyone now, together. Now what we need to do, we had strong bipartisan support. Yes, so did, we including now, the Senate President including who, who was in, a leader in that fight and continues to talk about it, because he was a leader at the time and since. But now what we need to do is look at the next generation. Right now we look, we've got to look at the health and pension issues. And folks say, right now Obama said, on the Cadillac tax for health care, for example, You're saying say public employees should 60- no
0: longer get what you're calling a Cadillac health care plan.
6: President Obama called it a health care plan What should we it's be 30, doing? $36,000. If we reduce it to the highest, like the equivalent of the highest corporate rate in the in this, in this state, in that type of benefit level, you could save, according to uh, Tom Byrne and Healy. Who headed up the uh,
0: pension commission.
6: Yes, you could save $1.4 billion a year on the state level. Now, if you look at this on the, on the municipal and the county level and the school board level, it'd be an additional $2.5 billion in savings. So you'd be able to follow through responsibly. Well, you meet all of your but obligations, you be and all your responses. employees
0: who are not overpaid you, 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 as it you, is. You would
6: actually be. We, we can find common ground in this area. We found common ground in the past on a bipartisan basis. We can find common ground here, President. Everybody from Republicans and Democrats alike want to say, if you focus on those individuals, we've got to honor the obligations to those those employees, mm. honor the obligations of the taxpayers, because at the end of the day, employees? they would have. They would, what would happen here is they would be able to spend less on a daily basis for their own health care. So it'd be right. more affordable for the taxpayers as well as the employees. It'd be a responsible approach that we, I think we can have strong bipartisan support on going for it and be billions of dollars responsible. Do
0: this, Senator. Yeah. By the way, with uh, Senator Tom Kane, Steve Adubato here. I just want to ask you this, real quick. Uh, higher education. Uh, there was a study that was done. Give me a minute or less on affordability issue and what we found. Right. Well,
6: what we have to figure out why are students leaving the state of? That's New the brain drain. That's brain drain. What kind of advice are they getting from their high school guidance counselors when they're looking at their career choices? What kind of you know pressures are happening at home? What do we need to do to say we've got great? You know, high, school, high schools, great higher education plan, but there's no plan. We've not updated the college, uh, of, you know, how we spend money on colleges from the state level since Rutgers became the state university in the 60s. So, what we've got to say is, how do we refocus the purpose, have a strategic mission, and find common ground to say, we've got to make high school and people graduate from high school college or career ready. We've got to have colleges that are affordable and have meaningful degrees that can translate to jobs. We've got to have a partnership between everybody from higher education, to government, to industry, to nonprofits. We can do that together, and we can have a situation where more than three generations of New Jerseyans stay in New Jersey, as opposed to...
0: Because we lose them. We lose that tax revenue and everything else. But we
6: also else. lose the families. Think, it's not just the tax revenues. Think about this. People are on the planes more frequently now than they've ever been before. Think about what that does to the time you spend with your family. Mm. Think about the people on Father's Day who missed it because their parents are in Florida or in Pennsylvania. Think about the kids that had to do a phone call because or of economic or Skype reasons. Because largely. of economic reasons and the family impact on that. Think about the strength of the families and the state. That's what gets the, the pride. One the more state. quick
0: item, uh, Senator. I want to ask you about the quality of water. You're concerned deeply about this, particularly water quality in urban schools. Go.
6: Yes, we need to do everything we can to make sure that the lead is not getting into those But core, how is lead pipes. getting
0: into the water in those pipes? They're all pipes.
6: We need to focus on how do we, you know, the infrastructure, is. that's going to be a, a conversation I think the legislature is going to have now. How is it, you know, how is the, the lead you know, solder in the pipes, how is that seeping through, and what's an affordable, responsible solution? We've had the lessons to learn from, from Flint, Michigan. There's lessons to learn from across Could the country. Could we have
0: that again? Could we have Flint in New Jersey?
6: I think we've got to do everything we can to make sure we've got to have the safe drinking water throughout New Jersey.
0: This is uh, State Senator Tom Cain, who has been the Republican leader for a few years? Yes. How
6: many? Uh, going
0: on 12. Does it feel longer? Uh, <laughs> Senator Tom Kane's in the House. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Steve. We'll be back after this.
4: <laughs> to see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve SteveAdubato.
0: We're pleased to welcome Dennis Drazen, who is uh, the CEO of Monmouth Park Racetrack in New Jersey, one of the most beautiful tracks in the nation. It is, because. thank you. It's a
3: jewel of racing.
0: It really is. It is. It's yeah. gorgeous. And I was just saying, uh, full disclosure, my family's been there many times. Not that we bet, We just, you know,
3: Uh, that's a joke.
0: Listen, legalize sports betting. As we do this program toward the end of June, it happened. I saw Governor Murphy. He was the one who placed, I believe, the first bet.
3: He was. He came down on Thursday. He placed the first bets. He (laughs) bet Germany to win the World Cup. Yes, he did. And the Devils to win the Stanley Cup. How many people did you have on Father's Day? Father's Day, we had 23,700 people all (sighs) clamoring to come bet racing, enjoy our park, and... That's sports betting.
0: Dennis, break this down for us. I mean, you were telling me before we got on the air that you and your colleagues have been planning
3: for legalized sports betting in Jersey since 2013. Yeah, we started the first renovation in 2013. We've actually been in this fight with the leagues for over six years. Professional sports leagues. Correct. And uh, we first built out the William Hill Sports Bar in 2013. We got stopped again in 2014 with an injunction from the leagues. And then after the Supreme Court arguments on December fourth, I was pretty certain we were going to win, and so we went ahead and spent additional money, another million and a half, to renovate our grandstand to be ready for opening day. And you know we're into it for five million now between uh, renovations, legal fees, and the struggle. But biggest bet I ever made, and we won. We're ready to do sports betting at Monmouth Park, and it was well received. <clears throat> The first four days of business was terrific, and I think it's really going to make a difference. It's going to bring people back to racetracks and casinos. It's going to make us healthy again. State of New Jersey is going to get a good tax revenue from mm-hmm. all this, and it's really you have to look at it for the big picture. This was a huge victory for states' rights in this country. Why states' rights? Well, the Supreme Court, when they looked at the, the United, issues, states, Supreme United Court. states Supreme Court, when they looked at the issues of Tenth Amendment, federalism. States rights. They ultimately decided that the state's rights issue prevailed that the federal government can't enact the law that prevents the states from controlling except their own for destiny. a couple of states. They said it was okay at that time There were four <laughs> states that were grandfathered uh, yeah. But putting that aside right uh, what really happened is this is a four hundred billion dollar illegal market in this country sports betting uh, offshore bookies crime family ties and while we won't get all of that business, this country is now going to see a large part of that market shift over to legal, regulated... And tax
0: revenues. And tax revenues. I don't want to make the, the case country. for you guys. It's already done. Um, but there will be significant tax revenues. Governor Murphy actually sat here on this set at NJTV uh, studio in Newark uh, before he was governor and he talked about why he thought it was a good idea. But I'm going to also ask you this, devil's advocate question someone say, you know what, this legalized sports betting thing may get some folks involved in gambling that may otherwise not and could cause problems,
3: you say? Well, I think those people, you know, that may get over their head, if that's what you're asking about. say said about the lottery as well, but go ahead. We're very focused on the problem gambling aspect of this. There's not one ad that we can put out there that doesn't send the message, if you or anybody that you know has a problem with gambling, here's the 1-800 number to call. Uh, You're supposed to be betting with your heads not just with your hearts. Mm. So we're very focused on trying to protect that aspect of our public Uh, But I think right now if people are out there betting illegally um, They've got that problem anyway that they need to overcome. So, you know with us You're betting in a legal self safe environment. If you go to a bookie you get in over your head you got problems Here's a question about the the, uh, professional
0: sports teams you said to me before we got on the over, on the air that this so-called integrity fee, in the I believe the NFL, some other professional leagues were saying you owe us, you should give us a quote unquote integrity fee. They went to court to argue this, Dennis, that we should get a cut of what you make from legalized sports betting. Dead issue A,
3: B. What the heck are we talking about? So it's a dead issue, but you know we were in this battle for over six years. The leagues at any point the professional sports leagues, could have come to New Jersey, worked out a revenue share, worked out a resolution that would have been good for everybody. Instead, we spent $10 million in legal fees. We won the battle. We went to court, and now they come out, and they go to Trenton. After they lost? After they lost, they come to Trenton with their lobbyists, and they walk in to legislators and to the governor, and they say, hey, we want an integrity fee. Now, if you step back from that, What that means is they're saying that in a legalized, regulated environment, we need more money to preserve integrity. Does that mean they were looking the other way, knowing this Mm. is a $400 billion industry for the past 30 years, and they did nothing to preserve integrity? I don't think so. I think they did Mm. their job trying to preserve integrity. And to come to New Jersey and now look for a revenue share is just inappropriate. So the Senate president was very strong. Steve Sweeney. Steve Sweeney. He he said said, no. He said, what do you get in Vegas? Nothing. You're going to get the same in New Jersey. The Speaker again. Speaker Coughlin. Gave, nothing. gave them nothing. Governor ultimately signed a bill that gave them nothing. Now, they're out there around the country. No, they're pushing. Trying to get this integrity fee, but it's just not justified. Mm-hmm. If you look at all of the leagues, they have their issues. Um, there are many problems when you look at integrity. For example, you have a number of games that I could rattle off where the public believes that the refs got it wrong mm-hmm. at the end of the game. Uh, take the Cavaliers Pacer game. Take the Golden State, uh, the Golden State NBA Cleveland Finals game.
0: By the way, if you listen to us right now or watch us, this is Dennis Drazen, who is the CEO of Monmouth Park Racetrack. They were really the first down at the Jersey Shore, uh, Long Branch, if I'm not mistaken. Oceanport. Uh, Oceanport, excuse me, down Route 34, to, to make this happen. Uh, you were set up for it. Make your case about the NBA Finals. What, what, what's the point? So,
3: so the point is, you know, there are a lot of people who think. The refs got it wrong, and the refs make their rulings. And then, like, in some of these games, the leagues come out the next day, say, yeah, refs blew it. And the leagues, then, are in a position where their own referees blew a call that made a significant difference in the game. Mm-hmm. So we're not out there saying, because you guys blew it, you need to pay off all these bettors. Uh, besides that, like, Mark Cuban of the Dallas Mavericks. He came out the next day after the decision said, every one of our franchises is now worth double what they were worth yesterday. Because of legalized sports betting? Because of legalized sports betting. I mean, how many people would watch some of these games if they didn't have some action? So we've really increased their viewership. Action meaning a bet? A bet. Got a few seconds left. Um, You're excited about the future? I'm very excited. You know, We had great results at Monmouth Park. Uh, Our first few days when you don't have NFL, You know, football season, which is your biggest time, have been super. The bettors are coming in, they're watching, they're wagering, and they're staying engaged not only in sports betting, but in the community. They're spending money in restaurants, they're coming to the track, tourism is up. Uh, We showed significant increases. we were up on Father's Day by 28 percent on our attendance, 18 percent on our live product. This is going to be a win-win for New Jersey, the racetrack, the casinos, and everyone involved.
0: Thank you, Dennis. We appreciate it. Thank you. Check you out next time on State of Affairs. Thank you, Dennis.
3: Good to see you. That was
0: well done.
4: State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV Studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons, PC, Johnson & Johnson, Englewood Health, Suez, NJ Best, New Jersey Council of County Colleges, and by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State, and by Employers Association of New Jersey. What is your child's dream for the future? Doctor? Teacher?
2: Architect? Whatever they aspire to be, a college education may realize those dreams. And NJ Best can help. It's the college savings plan specifically designed for New Jersey families. Start saving today with as little as $25, because now is the time to invest in their future. To learn about NJBEST 529 College Savings Plan, its investment, objectives, risks, and costs, read the Investor Handbook available at njbest.com.